Okay, welcome back to Journalistic Integrity. Got a great show today. All NBA stuff as the playing games have gotten started and we're getting into the NBA playoffs. I wanted to start at the top with a couple quick things around the NBA. One is the NBA as a whole. The second is the Lakers. But let's start with the NBA as a whole. And I feel like I'm not the only one that's just watched much less NBA over the past few years. And when we talk about the commissioners, Adam Silver, Roger Goodell, everyone, there's always praise for Adam Silver. You know, he's my king. He's awesome. And then Goodell, he's terrible and all that stuff. And look, Adam Silver may be a better person than Goodell, but when you look at their jobs as commissioner, just think about it. Over the past five, 10 years, which sport has gotten better, more enjoyable to watch, and which one has gotten worse? So in the NBA, I feel like 10 years ago, we would have you know a Sunday 3.30 p.m. game between the Lakers and the Cavs, and it would be Kobe versus LeBron. Everyone would be watching it. It felt like an important game. And in sports, there's two things you need to have people watch it. You need one, star players, and the second thing is urgency. The game has to matter. It felt like those games really mattered. But as we've gone on in the NBA and Adam Silver's tenure, none of these games feel important in the regular season. Like at no point did I feel from October to, you know, just a week ago before the playing games where I felt, man, I need to watch this game because it's either like, man, this is just one game out of 82. It doesn't really matter. Winning a division doesn't really matter. Or secondly, hey, maybe it's a big matchup between the Celtics and Bucks. But guess what? Jason Tatum's not playing. Someone else is injured and the game doesn't really mean anything. Meanwhile, we look at the NFL, and the NFL, every game is important, partly because it's only 17 games in a shorter season, more condensed, but also the game has just gotten better from 5, 10 years ago. Not only did the NFL make the game safer, protecting the quarterbacks, you know, some of those hits and calls I don't agree with, but hitting the receivers over the middle, I definitely agree with. Not only have they made it safer, but it's a more enjoyable game to watch right? The passing game is more involved. And we think back five to 10 years ago, half the matchups on an NFL Sunday would be between two incompetent quarterbacks. You'd have JP Lossman just lobbing passes up to the defense. And then you'd have John Skelton of the Cardinals going like eight for 22 for a hundred yards. Fast forward 10 years to the present day. And now it's like 80% of the matchups are between at the very least competent quarterbacks who can complete passes, who can run a competent two-minute drill who can throw it deep, short, medium. And because of this, the quarterback play, the games got more entertaining and the ratings reflected that. And so to fix the NBA, I think they have to shorten the regular season from 82 games. And I've got it down to 66 games. And I'll go over how I broke that down. But you know, they're talking about some mid-season tournament, which doesn't make any sense to me. Like if you win the tournament, you have a spot in the playoffs, but then like, why are you going to try the rest of the season? None of that makes sense. The play-in tournament was a great addition, but to create the urgency and to create a higher percentage of games the Stars are playing in, you have to condense the season to 66 games. So the way I have it broken down to, there's 30 teams in the NBA. So there's three divisions in each conference consisting of five teams. So what I have is you play 16 divisional games. So you play the other four teams in your division four times. Then the rest of the conference, the other 10 teams, you play them three times. So that's 30 
games outside of your division, but in conference. So that's a total of 46 games. Then I've got 15 games against the other conference. So you play each team in the other conference once. So you think about, you know, the Lakers playing the Heat. If you're only going to play them once, those games become a little more significant, coupled with the fact that there's less games. And then I've got five other games where, like in the NFL, you play the team that finished in the same spot as you in their division. So just like in the NFL, if you come in first in division, you play a lot of other division winners, and that's what you would do with the other five divisions in the NBA. It helps with parity because if you're a bad team, you're playing other bad teams. helps squeeze everybody together a little bit, and that comes out to a total of 66 games. And I think that would really help the regular season. I think it would also help, you know, in, in the NFL, you've got the big Sunday night football game that everyone talks about, Monday night football, Thursday night. I think those TNT games, when you've got fewer games, I think those games become more important, more people talking about them, more people tuning in. Do I think this is going to happen, that they're going to cut down the regular season? Probably not because it takes money away from the owners, less home games, less ticket revenue, shorter, smaller TV contracts. But I think for the long-term growth of the sport, it would help. But let's shift to the next topic, the Lakers not even making the play-in tournament. So 20 out of the 30 teams make the playoffs. 66% make the playoffs slash play-in. Lakers do not. Um, four years, three out of the four years LeBron has been there. They have not won a playoff series. They only won the title, and you got to give them credit. They won the title in the bubble, although it's very forgetful. And if you're a Lakers fan, you're thinking when you get LeBron a few years ago, man, we're going to have so many playoff series in LA in the Staples Center so many home games so many great moments and you end up getting zero so despite winning a title I would side on more of a disappointment LeBron's tenure uh, when you don't have that consistent success with LeBron but here's where the Lakers are they only have two first round draft picks left the rest of the decade they got a 2027 and a 2029 they're in a really bad spot and here's the problem a lot of GMs, when they go to a spot, they don't think about the long-term success of the franchise. They're just thinking year to year, how can I keep my job? How can we get better? Stuff like that. They're not thinking or really care 10 years down the line because you know they're probably not going to be stuck with that problem. A lot of GMs don't stay in a spot for you know, 15, 20 years. So they don't care about these picks. They're 10 years, seven years down the road. And that's what has happened with the Lakers. And let me just recap their trade, their big trades the past few years. So let's start with the Anthony Davis trade. This is July of 2019. They trade for Anthony Davis from the Pelicans for Lonzo Ball, the fourth overall pick, which was DeAndre Hunter in that draft, a 2022 first rounder, 2024 first rounder, and a swap in the 2023 draft. So three first round draft picks, one of which was fourth overall for Anthony Davis. And then we've got August of 2021, Russell Westbrook for KCP, Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma. And we saw how that worked out this year. Westbrook was really bad. A lot of turnovers, not a lot of defense. Created friction with head coach Frank Vogel, who has coached a lot of star players and has not really had any run-ins like that before. So it's like, yeah, it's probably on Westbrook. And so the Lakers are not in a good spot. Their whole cap is eaten up by three guys. Westbrook, who stinks, we just said. LeBron, who's still good, but he can't be the number one guy and carry a team. And then Anthony Davis, the ever-injured Anthony Davis. And this is what it really hinges on, is can Anthony Davis get back to being a top five player in the NBA with all his injuries? Um, it's just hard to see him 
piece together a full season. And so when we look at the LeBron part of all of this, and he's stuck at four rings, you know he wants to get to at least five to tie Kobe. And I don't think you can really have the LeBron over MJ take until LeBron has at least five rings. But looking at the Lakers and how depleted of a roster they have, and I think LeBron sees it, notices it, and it's going to get out of L.A. as soon as possible. But let's shift to some teams that are in the playoffs, or in the playing games. That's the Brooklyn Nets who beat the Cleveland Cavaliers in the 7-8 matchup to get the 7th seed now matched up against the Boston Celtics. And it was a weird game. It felt like the Nets were playing amazing. Kyrie made his 12 first shots. He goes for 34 points, 12 assists. KD was awesome. But they weren't able to pull away from the Cavs. And the Cavs kept it close and it kind of reminded me of this year's Duke team where they look amazing. They're making all these tough shots, making threes. The star players are playing well, but they never were able to separate. And that comes down to a lot of it was defense where Garland, point guard for the Cavs, was able to get to the rim really easily. And it's concerning if you're a Nets fan that you weren't able to blow out this Cavs team without Jared Allen. And... One piece I'm concerned about is the Bruce Brown piece where he's got the ball a lot. So they put uh, him as a screener. KD gets doubled. Then he passes it to Brown. And so Brown in multiple big possessions where they're trapping KD, anyone uh, just asking anyone else to beat them, Bruce Brown will get the ball like 18 at the top of the key, 18 feet away from the bucket with nobody around him. And it's almost like he's got a three on four advantage. And I felt like his playmaking in the middle of that area was really bad. He wasn't able to hit that little 12-foot floater. He looked really hesitant and choppy on, you know, drawing a defender and then passing it to a big guy or kicking it out to the corner. And it reminded me of like 10 years ago when Syracuse would, as their 2-3 zone, teams used to put like a, a four, a power forward, a big guy in the middle of that zone that couldn't really shoot couldn't really pass, but they put him there because he had good size, but the decision-making wasn't good and was never really effective. And now as we've uh, progressed, it's more of like a Jaden Gardner type guy. If you've got a three who can make that 18-foot jumper, can pass, can dribble, can do all that stuff, that's the best guy to put in the middle of the zone. It felt like Brown was just not the best guy to put in that position, not a good playmaker. And so I'm worried about that part of Brooklyn when it comes down the stretch and games and they're forcing the ball out of KD's hands. But here's a bright spot if you're a Nets fan. You have a sleeping giant, Ben Simmons, and I know all the off-the-court stuff has been pretty bad and refusing to play, all that stuff, and the mental health. We don't know if that's real or whatever. It seems pretty convenient. But you have Ben Simmons, and he's all of a sudden become the most underrated player in the NBA. He is one of the best defenders in the NBA. He's 6'10". He can move laterally. He can block shots. He can stay with guys. And when you look at the Eastern Conference, the teams the Nets will have to beat, it's a Celtics with Jason Tatum. Great matchup for Simmons. It's the Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis. Great matchup. You're not going to stop Giannis or Tatum, but it's one of the best defenders in the in the league that you can put on these guys. And so if Simmons does come back, I really like the Nets. And I think they'll beat the Celtics. And, you know, I just think Ben Simmons, he's a really good basketball player. And if he's able to get into that spot where Bruce Brown is and, you know, work on his playmaking and shoot those little floaters and 
you know, I think we just have that big, you know, Simmons didn't shoot that layup last year, all stuck in our heads. And we've forgotten Ben Simmons is an amazing top 25, top 30 basketball player in the league. And so, you know, you go from KD and Kyrie to KD, Kyrie, and Ben Simmons bolstering the defense and the size. I think that's a really big step up for the Nets. And so if Ben Simmons plays, I think they beat the Celtics. And then we look at the Western Conference, and here's a stat for the Western Conference. So the Suns were 64 and 18, and there's a large stretch with Chris Paul injured. I think it was like six weeks, 64 and 18, eight games above the closest team to them, which is the Memphis Grizzlies, but 64 and 18 for the Suns. In NBA history, teams with 64 or more wins make the NBA Finals 63% of the time. So the Suns are in a really good spot. History favors them to come out of the Western Conference. One team in the West, the two-seed Memphis Grizzlies, who had the second-best record in the NBA at 56-26. and 26. I'm a little worried about the Grizzlies because we saw last year with the New York Knicks, a team that played really hard in the regular season, won a lot of regular season games, outperformed, overachieved, and then they lose in the first round to the, the uh, Atlanta Hawks. The Grizzlies, I was looking at some of their stats, and on like NBA.com, they have these hustle stats where they have you know, how many loose balls you get on offense when it's up in the air, and on defense, how many loose balls you get. All these different uh, hustle stats, the Grizzlies were like in the top three of every single one of them. And so I'm a little worried that they are your classic, you know, Knicks last year, jazz of years prior where they play really well in the regular season. But when it comes down to the NBA and a lot of these games just come down to the last six minutes and it's within five points, the defense is really strong. You know, they're doubling the star player, the prime scorer. They're getting the ball out of John Morant's hands. What happens then? They're a young team, not much experience. And even in the first round going against the uh, Timberwolves, they're going to be going against, you know, guys like D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, even Anthony Edwards, guys that can break down a defense and make plays, multiple guys for all of D'Angelo Russell's faults. He can normally drive past somebody and make some sort of play. Is he going to finish at the rim efficiently? No, but he can make threes. He's a good passer. And so I'm just worried about the Grizzlies. And that's a team that I would be fading coming into the postseason. But while I mentioned the T-Wars, quick side thought on the playing games and just crowds kind of in general. If you watch the Timberwolves game or last night, the Pelicans-Spurs game, those crowds were amazing. They're all wearing the same color, cheering. It reminded me of the old OKC, you know, 20. 13 crowd when Russell Westbrook and KD were there and that place was going nuts. You know, we talk a lot about like these sports towns in New Orleans. They don't have, you know, a basketball city. People are just invested in the Saints. Well, guess what? You know, sometimes it's not the fans' fault. It's just if the team sucks, nobody's going to come to the game. Like if Virginia football is giving up, you know, 45 points and giving up 350 rush yards to Georgia Tech, people aren't going to fill up Scott Stadium. Fans are not going to go to games where their team just stinks. And I think we're seeing, hey, if your team's good or even remotely good and you're in the playing game, fans are going to come. And so that was a quick uh, side note. And last thing on the play-in, Charlotte Hornets uh, get blown out against the Pelicans. And the Hornets, this was their first above 500 season 
in seven years. And we talk about the tanking and all getting the good draft picks, but you know, there's something about the morale of a team and a winning culture. And when you've got a team and players are losing all the time, not playing in any big games, and every game just kind of feels like an October game, when you get to these big, high-pressured games, a lot of the times these teams just aren't ready to ramp it up. And when the pressure's on and they haven't faced this kind of increased defense of level, it's kind of like the NHL. Like once you get to the playoffs, it's a clear mark up. You know, in the NFL, it's kind of all the games are intense. But in the NBA and NHL, once you get to the playoffs, it is a big increase. And we saw it with the Hornets and, you know, some of these teams that haven't been there and they don't have a winning culture or the right leadership set into place to make sure there's a certain standard in you know every single game and it's just kind of willy-nilly and we saw it with Lamelo Ball and Terry Rozier shooting like 30 percent from the field a ton of turnovers they weren't ready for this increased amount of pressure and that just you know the organization has not prepared them to win this type of game and I think that's why experience especially in the NBA is so important in these playoffs but to wrap up for the NBA finals prediction I'm gonna say if Ben Simmons comes back I think the Nets come out of the east and I think the Suns come out of the west so Nets Suns is my prediction one thing I'm looking for in the Western Conference and unfortunately the seeding didn't match up for this to be a high probability but let's not forget Steph Curry and CP3 have a long history I don't think they really like each other and there's definitely some animosity there so I was hoping that Golden State got the four seed, and so they'd play Phoenix in the second round if they advanced. Unfortunately, Golden State is a three seed, and so they uh, would have to wait until the Western Conference Finals to match up. But that's kind of something I'm keeping my eye on. If we can get that in the Western Conference, uh, Steph Curry versus CP3, I think that would be awesome. And last thing, in regards to the Suns, last thing I'm looking for is, you know, remember last year in the finals, they really wore down Chris Paul and it was Drew Holiday picking him up full court a nice strong body pushing him around Chris Paul really wore down throughout that series and I'm interested to see in the first round will the Timberwolves pick him up full court what's the strategy going to be against Chris Paul because I think the Bucks exposed a part of the Suns if you can wear down Chris Paul and you increase the campaign minutes that's a you know a flaw in the Suns. Now, if you're not good enough or talented enough, like a Bucks team, to take advantage of that, it doesn't matter. But I think that's something that is going to, I think Western Conference teams definitely saw that and that's how they're going to play the Suns and, and give, uh, you know, if they've got some scrappy point guard, backup point guard that can just get in Chris Paul's grill for 15, 20 minutes a game, I think they'll do that. But I'll go Phoenix Suns over the Brooklyn Nets in seven games, all pending on Ben Simmons. But thank you, everybody, for listening, and I'll be back in a few days. See ya.